When you think about Centennial Row turning 100 years old, what comes to mind? Honestly, I didn't even realize it was 100 years old. So it's kind of shocking to me. It's kind of cool. Um, it's kind of been, yeah, holding out 100 years long. So it's God's protection has been over the church. And that's super cool to, to see that we're still, I think, thriving. And I think growing all the time. So it's, yeah, pretty cool. That's awesome. <laughs> that's awesome. So um, you've been connected with us for a while. Yeah. How has that helped inspire you to continue to grow in your relationship with Jesus? It has inspired me in a lot of ways. We've had really amazing community here. And I think the community that we do have here has inspired me a lot in grace, especially. Um, there's been a lot of people have shown me a lot of grace in ways that I wasn't expecting. And it kind of has helped me to grow in my understanding of God's character, which has been really amazing. Uh, I had really amazing pastors who have come alongside me here and teach me more about who I am as a person, but also just how to be um, a vessel for Christ, how to grow in my giftings, which sometimes I uh, can doubt, you know, I doubt myself at times, and uh, they've kind of come alongside me and encouraged me, and uh, yeah, and we have amazing people of all ages here, so it's, it's really cool, and you can grow and learn from the wisdom of others, and yeah, the community is really uplifting and encouraging here, so it's, it's good. Cool. Yeah. Yeah, it's cool. It's cool to find that, that pocket of people where, hey, we're not perfect, but I feel like I can contribute something and I can receive something from the community all in the same environment, and that's super fun. It is. Okay, so let's fast forward 100 years. <laughs> you and I are much older, yes. much wiser, and we're sitting here having a conversation. What do you think we're going to be talking about like in terms of what we've been through as a church? over that next hundred or that last hundred, what do you think, or what do you hope we'll be talking about? I'm hoping I'm not going to be pressed I'm hoping I'll be dead by then. <laughs> but um, I'm hoping that um, even just as a church, we'll see people continuing to grow in their faith in Jesus Christ and continue to come alongside each other and pray for each other. And I think grow in something I've been thinking about a lot lately, which is unity, um, just to truly you won. <laughs> I'm learning a lot about oneness of God and his people and God's people really need to come together and be be one as he is in the Father, right? And I just I don't know, I think that's something I would I would I would really hope to be talking about and to be seeing in our church and to just see people really growing in their love for Jesus because that's ultimately a goal and to be uh, discipling others to do the same and teaching others to grow <laughs> in their love for the Lord and being obedient. <laughs> Obedience cool. is super hard, but it's, uh, I think, the key to loving Jesus. That's what he says, right? So, Awesome. Thanks. Welcome, everyone. Thanks for tuning in online and joining us. Even though we can't physically be together right now, we can still be together from wherever we are, in your living room, your car, on a nice recreational drive, or maybe you're out for a walk or a run and you're listening to us. We're so grateful that we have the opportunity to stay connected with you right where you are in the moment. We are in part three of our series that we've entitled 
the next hundred, where we celebrate kind of our 100-year anniversary. And it is true, we are ahead by a century. It's been fun to look back at who we've been, who we are, and who we are becoming. Thank you so much for your faithfulness and your diligence to connect with us in this moment in time. It's really significant. It's historic in nature. It's amazing that you're a part of it. Hey, kids, really quickly, before we dive further into where we're headed today, I want to remind you, if you want to connect with your friends online. Right now, if you go to centennialroad.com, you can click on the kids ministry content because we have stuff that we've pre-recorded just for you and you can watch, interact with it, learn together, and of course, connect with some of your friends who are desperate to see you and interact with you in some way. I want to tell you a story about my friend Reuben. Reuben was a guy that I grew up in my church with. He was an older gentleman. He was a retired guy that was kind of a local celebrity. He was known for his rock polishing skills. In fact, if you saw Reuben on a Sunday morning and you went up to him and you were a young little kid under the age of 12, he would pull out of his pocket one of the projects that he was working on, a polished piece of topaz or something else, and he would give it to you. And and they became like trading cards, like hockey cards for us, my friends and I in that space, where we would collect whole milk cartons chocked full of these things that we got from Reuben. I remember one time, I was about eight or nine years old, and I wanted to do something special for my mom. And so I decided to find a rock in the back alley close to my house, and I wanted to talk to Reuben about turning this rock, this treasure, into something beautiful for my mom. And I remember telling him, don't tell her. I want it to be a surprise. Well, this guy, he had me over to his house. We talked a little bit about my vision for the project. And as an eight or nine-year-old, I'm like, I don't know, something shiny, I guess. I just wanted something to give to my mom that wasn't macaroni glued to a piece of paper. It was going to be something more significant like that than that, at least I thought. And as I was talking with Reuben and we were trying to work on the stone that I found, it quickly became evident that I did not know what I was doing, number one, and I didn't have the resources that I needed in order to do what it is that I wanted to do to love and serve my mom. So you know what Reuben did? He not only gave his time, but he gave me some of the best stuff that he had. He ended up doing the lion's share of the work, creating a beautiful piece of jewelry for my mom that I was able to celebrate and surprise her with and just show her how much I cared. Reuben was generous. He was generous to me. He was generous to so many other people in our community. It's an amazing sign and and moment where I look back to and think of that's what generosity looks like, I think, of Reuben. Have you ever had the chance to benefit directly from somebody being generous to you? Maybe in your workplace, maybe in your neighborhood, your school, whatever it might be. Has somebody seen you, invested in you, taken the time to notice you and give of their efforts, their finances, their resources so that you could thrive in some way? We're going to look at generosity because generosity is a cornerstone of a community of faith and Something that stands the test of time, over a hundred years and so much more. So if you've got a Bible with you, what I'm going to encourage you to do is turn with me to the book of Acts. We're going to be reading from Acts chapter 4, starting in verse 32, and I'm going to read all the way through and into chapter 5, and concluding in verse number 11. All the believers were united in heart and mind. 
and they felt that they were owned. They felt what they owned was not their own. So they shared everything they had. The apostles testified powerfully to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God's great blessing was upon them all. There were no needy people among them because those who owned land or houses would sell them and bring the money to the apostles to give to those in need. For instance, there was Joseph, the one the apostles nicknamed Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. He was from the tribe of Levi and came, to the, came from the island of Cyprus. He sold a field he owned and brought the money to the apostles. But there was a certain man named Ananias, who with his wife, Sapphira, sold some property. He brought part of the money to the apostles, claiming it was the full amount. With his wife's consent, he kept the rest. Then Peter said, Ananias, why have you let Satan fill your heart? You lied to the Holy Spirit, and you kept some of the money for yourself. The property was yours to sell or not sell, as you wished. And after selling it, the money was also yours to give away. How could you do a thing like this? You weren't lying to us, but to God. As soon as Ananias heard these words, he fell to the floor and died. Everyone who heard about it was terrified. Then some younger men got up, wrapped him in a sheet, and took him out and buried him. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened, and Peter asked her, Was this the price that your husband received for your land? Yes, she replied, that was the price. And Peter said, How could the two of you even think of conspiring to test the spirit of the Lord like this? The young men who buried your husband are just outside the door, and they will carry you out too. Instantly, she fell to the floor and died. When the young men came in and saw that she was dead, they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Great fear gripped the entire church and everyone else who heard what had happened. Now, that is a really intense story. And when we're talking about generosity, you might be thinking, wait a minute, if I'm not generous, does that mean I'm going to die? Hang on a moment. We'll get there. I want to first talk about the whole spontaneity around this movement of generosity. This was this early movement church, first group of people that were just absolutely astounded to be together. They were excited. They were passionate. They were learning with one another. And as a result of all the things that they were experiencing individually and collectively as a community, they themselves started to respond in a way that you and I would respond when we encounter the true living God and his nature. See, God is a God of love. And one of the ways that we show people that we love them is by being generous with our stuff. The things that we have, the time that we have, the talents that we have, the gifts, the treasures, all those things, we're generous with that. And so this group of people, not unlike any other group of people who's ever existed and tried to follow Jesus to the best of their ability, when they encountered the risen king, the only way that they knew how to respond is through generosity. And so they spontaneously started to make sure that everybody in their community was, was cared for in a strategic and intentional way. Their generosity became somewhat spontaneous. It was an expression, an overflow of worship coming out and through their lives, in and through the community around them. It was an amazing thing to see. We're going to look at three kind of elements for a generous heart and lifestyle that I really want to zone in on so that you and I can 
benefit from, the truth from this story, but also the truth from the history of us as a church community that's now standing 100 plus years and continuing to go. The first thing is that generosity creates unity instead of division. It creates unity instead of division. What does unity mean and what does unity look like? Unity means a togetherness, a bondedness, a working alongside one another. That's a great simplistic definition of what unity is. Unity is not uniformity. It does not mean that we're always going to do the same things, say the same things, wear the same things, and even believe the same things or act in certain ways that are very similar to one another. It means that we have enough appreciation to understand that even though that we are together, there means there's room for some diversity and some flexibility in who we are. Let's take, for example, the foundation of us as a church movement. We're a part of the Wesleyan Church as a denomination. And traditionally, when the Wesleyan Church was established, they kind of, as a, as a group of people, wanted to establish and kind of set themselves apart from everybody else. They merged with a couple of other groups of people, a holiness movement, all sorts of things. One of the things these groups had in common was their view on the use of alcohol. Now, the Bible talks about two ways that we can approach our use of alcohol. It talks about abstinence, refraining from the use of alcohol, or it talks about using it wisely, using it sparingly, using it intentionally, not becoming overwhelmed by it or addicted to it in any way. Well, Wesleyan Church movement, Holiness Church, the things that we're rooted in as a community over the last hundred years traditionally errs on the side of abstinence, abstaining from the use of alcohol. However, from a biblical perspective, there are those two options. So what that means is, depending on what your view is, whether you choose not to use it or you choose to use it wisely, sparingly, you can still walk forward in unity even though your expression of how you're acting is slightly different. They are both biblically rooted and biblically minded expressions. That's what unity is. Now, in this story, you've got this generosity that is bringing unity to the body. It's not dividing the body. It's bringing them together. There's a sense of anticipation and excitement. Can you believe what's happening? All the widows, all the orphans, all the people in need, they are getting whatever they need supplied for by Jesus through his people. That's a picture of what generosity is meant to do. Any time that you've encountered generosity and it's something other than that, it's actually not generosity. It's called manipulation. Sometimes people give to manipulate a situation or manipulate the scenario for their benefit. And we learn later on in the story that we just read about a couple that's trying to do exactly that. Ananias and Sapphira. They're trying to manipulate the situation for their own benefit. But generosity, a heart, a lifestyle of generosity never does that. It's about creating unity and not division. The second thing that I want to highlight for us from this story is with regards to generosity. Generosity revealing the truth and exposing the lies. That's what it does. 
You have Ananias and Sapphira who are seeing everything that's taking place in this young, fledgling-type community. They're excited. They want to participate. I'm going to suggest that maybe they were on the fringe, the outside looking in, and wanting to find a way into the inner circle, if I can call it that. They see this other gentleman that sold a piece of property and gave all of the money towards the movement at the time. And they wanted to be a part of that. They wanted some sort of notoriety, some sort of recognition for their ability to give in a significant way. So on their own volition, they weren't told to do this. They decided to sell a piece of property. And instead of bringing the full amount, they decided to bring a part of the proceeds of the sale to the church, to the community, and say, hey, this is what we got for the land that we sold. Now, the interesting thing is, if they would have just told the truth about what they were doing, we're going to give just a part of our proceeds, not the full amount, nobody would have second-guessed it. Nobody would have questioned them. Nobody would have said, well, that's not good enough. They would have just gently and kindly received the gift. But the fact is, they were not true in their giving. They weren't telling the truth. They were telling a lie. They were invested in the lie that said, no, this was the full amount that we have given or that we received for this piece of property and that we now want to give to the community to, to, to distribute to those who have needs. That's not generosity. Generosity always reveals the truth. It exposes the lies. Again, that expression of giving wasn't tied to generosity. It was tied to manipulation. I wonder, I wonder if they were just looking for that moment where people would celebrate them instead of what God was doing in the movement. Like, oh my goodness, I can't believe they gave $10,000 or $100,000 or $25,000. That's amazing. Doesn't that speak to us as human beings a little bit? We sometimes want to, the spotlight to shift away from Jesus right onto us, right onto us. And so we give even with our, with our gifts, our time, our talent, because we want something from it. We want some affirmation. We're craving being noticed in some way. Friends, that's not generosity. That's not generosity. That is, again, manipulation. Because generosity reveals the truth. It exposes lies. That's what a generous lifestyle and a generous heart looks like. There's a third thing that I want to highlight really quickly. And the third thing is generosity creates joy or generates joy, not obligation. I have yet to meet an individual that's really enthusiastic about the opportunity that they have to pay a bill. I'm so glad, I'm so excited, I get to pay my visa bill. I've heard the opposite. I don't know how I'm going to pay my visa bill. Not the excitement to pay a visa bill. Obligation is so much a part of how we associate our our finances. Like, we have to do this. we got to make sure the mortgage is paid, the utilities are paid, so the heat stays on. We have to do this. Got to pay the insurance. Got to pay for braces. Got to pay for a new car. Whatever it is, it's, it's primarily motivated out of obligation. True generosity is rooted in joy. You've perhaps heard this phrase, it's better to give than receive. And as I've grown older in life, I'm beginning to understand that more and more and more. 
when, when Christmas time comes, I would rather give something to somebody else that they desperately need or want or would like than receive something. Now, when I was a little kid, it was entirely opposite. We measured the success of Christmas based on what we got, what we received, as opposed to what we gave or, or uh, partnered with giving in some sort of extended family type scenario. But the truth is that that kind of mindset is not generosity. When we're doing it out of obligation, somebody gives you a gift and you're like, oh, I guess I'm going to have to give them one now because they gave me something. That's not true generosity. True generosity is rooted in joy. When I think about the last hundred years, at some point in time, we would have wrestled with this as a church community different moments where it was easier for us to give. It was exciting to give. Like two years later after when we started meeting with that small cluster of young adults and now they had to give towards an actual physical permanent facility they could be meeting in. That's, that gets everybody excited. Like, whoa, I'm going to give to this and more people are going to come. It's going to be a great investment and look at what God is doing in the movement. But then, but then maybe it gets a little bit more boring over time when, when you have to pay like a utility bill, the electricity, the stuff for lighting, the stuff for heating. You can be like, oh man, but is my money making a difference? Is it making an impact for the kingdom if I have to give for something that isn't really exciting and out of this world crazy? We can learn to be joy-filled in giving even in the ordinary. I love cooking in my household. I do the lion's share of the cooking. My wife is an amazing cook. I love to cook, and so she lets me participate and use this gift mix and this desire in our household. I love it when I make a meal that everybody likes. But did you know that there's a lot of times in our household being seven frizzels that not everybody likes what we prepare for a certain meal, whether that's lunch or dinner? There's somebody inevitably who's frustrated with the choice of meal that we have in the moment. But the truth is we still need to eat. We still need to have food. So even though it's not our favorite, we still have to nourish our bodies. And we're learning to be thankful and joy-filled in that moment. And everything that we get to do through giving and through generosity, we have the same sort of, of opportunity to do. We can shift the way that we think. Instead of thinking we have to do it, we can use a subtle shift in language that makes all the difference, and we can think to ourselves, we get to do it. We get to participate in something that is so much beyond who we are. That is amazing. That's what we're learning from this text here in the book of Acts, that generosity leads us forward as a community if we're willing to let it reshape and reinterpret what it looks like in, in light of the gospel, in the light of our mission to love and live like Jesus right where he's placed us. So what does this mean for us as a church? Well, to borrow a phrase from a famous individual, we have a dream. We've got a dream that five to seven years from now, we can be living on what I'll call a 70-30 mindset meaning 70% of what we have in terms of resources right now here today would be enough for us to live on so that we could be generous with the other 30% of the resources that we have available at our disposal. 
We are about at an 85-15 window right now, where 85% we live on and 15% we invest and give away. Well, we've got a dream as a staff, as an LBA, as a leadership team, that we want to grow in our generosity. So we, we have to be strategic. Sometimes it's okay to be intentionally planned towards generosity, and this is our intentional plan over the next five to seven years to grow in that. Let me give you a couple of examples of what that's going to mean and what that's going to look like. Several years ago, we decided to upgrade our lighting system in our gymnasium from conventional kind of forms of lighting to LED. You know what we did? We noticed we had a major cost savings in utilities as a result of that small upgrade. Now that frees up all sorts of dollars that can now be invested in other strategic initiatives, ministry-minded things. COVID has even helped us, believe it or not, with a pursuit, pursuit of generosity. One of the staples of who we are as a church over the last 100 years has been our propensity and our desire to build into the next generation. Our children's ministry, our youth ministry, our young adults, we have prioritized them and will continue to prioritize and invest in the next generation in really strategic ways. One of the calling card moments for us in Next Gen is something that we call My Summer Rocks. Traditionally, that has meant a whole bunch of kids descend on our facility in Brockville for a week or two weeks at a time, and it is just mad, intense chaos where they, they get to learn about Jesus, they get to be loved and cared for, and there's a whole bunch of noise, a whole bunch of mess. It's really, really amazing and awesome. In fact, so many of you have contributed to being generous through that ministry initiative by taking vacation to serve at this camp for kids. These day camps. It's been awesome. Well, COVID hits in 2020, and guess what? We can't do My Summer Rocks the way that we did. So you know what our next-gen team did? They did something amazing. They reimagined what a new normal could look like, and they came up with a concept called My Summer Rocks Road Trip. Instead of having all these kids in one location, which we weren't permitted to do for health restrictions-wise, we created segments and pockets of kids all throughout our region, like in Brockville, different areas, out in Prescott, out in rural communities, and we were able to minister to kids in a real strategic, intentional way and still move forward when so many other people and so many other things were just canceled. Do you remember cancel culture when everything was getting canceled? We found a way to continue to move forward. Now, the cool thing is, here's what we discovered. The opportunity to do ministry in both of those settings was amazing. The one that was more decentralized or more organic, what we learned is that we were able to get to know the kids in a real meaningful way, really strategically. That was a, a benefit from being, being and doing something different than we were normally doing the way that we had done it previously. It's a benefit. The other thing that we learned was there was a significant cost differential. When we had everybody together in one location at one time, there was a higher cost associated to that ministry initiative. But when we were out in smaller pockets and we had to be more innovative and creative in what we could do and what we couldn't do and all those different things, it was less costly in terms of financial resources. So you know what we were able to do with that shortfall there or that overflow? We were able to reinvest those resources strategically and intentionally. 
That's just two examples of what we're moving towards and will continue to move towards as a church to get us into that 70-30 mindset. We want to grow. We want to grow in our international missions giving to places like Ghana and Egypt and so many others that are not yet on our radar. We want to invest in missionaries like the Chapmans and so many others that are yet to come. We want to be intentional with partnering with them. And as we get to that 70-30 mindset, it frees up more dollars to do so. It also allows us to do some things in our geographical region by being a community that is generous to other things that are happening for the sake of the gospel and for the sake of God's kingdom. Imagine for a moment if we could be like the bank of hope where we were able to give scholarships and bursaries to different organizations, individuals that were doing ministry initiatives that Sea Road not, can't necessarily do on their own or be the primary initiator in. Imagine if we could do that and be intentional. Well, as we learn to live with less, it provides us the opportunity to give away more. Another really cool thing that we can do with our generosity is strategically and intentionally partner with denominational investing and district-oriented investing ministry initiatives. Maybe that's through camps, church planting, clergy health, leadership development, and so much more. What I'm saying to you is we are committed as a church community to grow in our generosity intentionally over the next five to seven years. And I can't wait to embark on that journey with you all. But not only does this have an impact for us as a church, it has an impact for us as individuals on a personal level. So here's what I want you to do this week. As you have time in your walk with Jesus, or if you're even curious about exploring what a walk and relationship with Jesus looks like, True generosity is rooted in who he is. It's a part of his character because he is love, and love compels the response of generosity. And so what I want you to do in your time with the Lord is I want you to ask who, where, and when. Jesus, who do you want me to be generous with? Maybe it's going to be somebody that's familiar to you. Maybe it's going to be people that you live with. Maybe it's going to be people that you haven't even thought of for a long time. But I want you to ask who. Does somebody need my resources in terms of time? Maybe you have time in abundance right now to give. And you can get on the phone or you can write emails or you can send text messages or you can wave hello from your front front window. Maybe you have time and you can invest it in people. I want you to ask Jesus, who is your who? Then Then I want you to ask where. Where is it? Where is it that you want me to grow in my generosity, Lord? Where is it? Maybe it's in your workplace. Maybe it's in your neighborhood. Maybe it is going to be in your church community. I don't know, but Jesus does, and he wants to tell you. And then I want you to ask when. When do you want me to be generous? See, sometimes generosity can be spontaneous in the moment. Sometimes we have to work towards it. We have to plan towards us. Maybe it's going to mean taking a a new look at your family budget or your individual budget and going, here's where I am right now, and I want to be here in five to seven years. Maybe some of you are going to take up the challenge and be like, hey, that 70-30 mindset, that sounds like an amazing thing to do. I want to try and do that on a personal level and live on 70% and invest 30%. Maybe you can't do that overnight. I know we can't as a church do that 
overnight. But we've got a plan to work towards that and to move towards it. So when you ask Jesus your who, your where, and your when, that's when amazing things are going to happen. The breakthroughs that you might be waiting for are right at the foot of Jesus if you would just go to him and ask him for what it is that you need. That, my friends, is generosity. And if we could get our money matters in order, if we could get our resources in order, we would not only continue for the next hundred years, but the next many hundred years to follow. If we would be a generous, loving church, imagine how people in our region and around the world would understand that God is a God of love, who loves them deeply, cares for them, who provides a way forward for them, who gives them the best version of life available on our planet, and who also provides for us eternal security when we have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, who died a gruesome death and rose to life again so you and I could live. All of that encompasses what we have the opportunity to partner in through our generosity. Let's pray. Father, I'm so grateful that we have the opportunity to learn, to grow, to be generous. And God, I pray that you would continue to inspire me to move towards generosity at a deeply personal level. Lord, I'm thankful, I'm grateful for the opportunity we have as a church, the responsibility that we have to be generous with all that you've given. And for the times where we have been less than generous, would you forgive us? For the times where we have been more selfish in nature because it was convenient, would you forgive us? God, we want to be a, God, we want to be a church that you use to make your name known and most famous in this region. Not because we want to be known in this space, but because we have a desire for people to encounter you. Because we know when they encounter who you are, they cannot help but respond with a generous type of lifestyle. And that's what our world desperately needs, some tangible, tangible things that they can look at and see and experience to know that you are active and alive and moving. When they can't explain away what's happening, it's because your generosity leads us forward. God, we want that to be a calling card for us as a community. Would you inspire us in that way? Would you bless us and protect us? Would you make your face shine upon us and be gracious to us? Would you give us your favor and give us your peace? We pray this in your name. Amen.